Yeah. Well, we should do the introduction. Uh, it's number one movie podcast. I'm Brad Avery. You are <laughs> Nick Johnston. Yes. What's up, fuckers? And this is James Donner. Hey, everyone. And we are talking about the weekend of April 9th, 1999. Nick, you got any historical facts for us? Yes, I do. We've got two bills on a garbage human being this week. Bill Clinton got cited for contempt of court after giving false statements in a civil sexual harassment lawsuit he was undergoing at the moment. Bill Gates became the wealthiest individual in the world thanks to a Microsoft stock bump. Finally. And uh, garbage human Russell Henderson pled guilty to kidnapping and felony murder in the hate crime murder of Matthew Shepard. In order to avoid oh. the death penalty. Ooh. Yes, the Laramie, Wyoming murder of Matthew Shepard. And uh, just remember, Russell Henderson, you're going to hell. Yep. Yep. All right, box office. Uh, number 10, Foolish, written by and starring er- uh, Eddie Griffin and Master P. Uh, it's actually a release from No Limit Films, uh, which was the offshoot of No Limit Records, which is Master P's label. And they uh, apparently the Romeo. They apparently had like a little like filmography building from about ninety seven to two thousand, and uh, Master P even directed some stuff. Wow. Yeah, there's a movie called No Tomorrow that has Pam Greer and Gary Busey that uh, Master P directed. But Foolish seems to be, uh, you know, uh, one of their few theatrical releases, and has uh, Andrew Dice Clay in it, and uh, Jonathan Banks shows up in it. It made about six million dollars and uh, kind of disappeared after that. <laughs> Ninth place, Doug's first movie. Oh my god! Eighth... Oh, wait a second before we can move on. Uh, I'm sorry to uh, remember. Does anybody remember when Eddie Griffin crashed his? Uh... Lamborghini when he was promoting the movie Fast Lane. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was real. You guys need to watch this clip in case you haven't. It's probably the funniest thing I've I've I remember from the mid aughts internet. Um, he's he's like I think he was wasn't he drunk or something? I don't know, but I remember that movie was like funded by like a billionaire. Yeah, it was like, like all venture capital collection. Was, yeah, and he he crashed this va- priceless Lambo that uh had been specially made for the film and totally wrecked it undercover brother's good at karate and all the rest of that but brother can't drive (laughs) um great so eighth place uh, another new release the jackie chan movie twin dragons Ooh, yeah never saw that one according to box office mojo is the 15th highest rated film um highest grossing film in the category for movies about twins. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Box Office Mojo, box for these insights. Categories, man. <laughs> Num- number from 1980 to present, number one all-time highest-grossing twins movie is the movie Twins, twins with Danny DeVito and uh, yes, Arnold made a $111 million lifetime gross. Wow. Yeah, number two is Jack and Jill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Al Pacino for Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, seventh place, Forces of Nature. Sixth place, we talked about it last week. Go, go. Uh, fifth place, analyze this. Third, fourth, fourth place, the Out of Towners. Third place, Ten Things I Hate About You. Uh, second place, another new release, Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, remember when she was a box office force? Remember oh, yeah. riding with cars and boys. Riding, R- with boys. riding with cars, riding with cars and boys. Yes, riding with cars and boys. Anthropomorphic cars. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that was the basis for the Cars franchise, James. That's how it's those true. little cars got made. It's true. It's so they're the all just coming out of Drew Barrymore. <laughs> well, my theory with the Cars franchise was actually um, 
basically it's a cautionary tale about autonomous cars and all the autonomous cars are created like vehicles are post-converted but then the cars realize it's not them that are causing the car accident problems it's the humans so the cars and all the anthropomorphic vehicles kill all the humans and that's how we have a universe only inhabited by cars like they just took over and it's all elon musk's fault well, they got they all rely on diesel fuel, though. They are uh, regular old petrol. I mean, wasn't the villain in Cars Three an electric car? You saw Cars Three? No, I, I saw know. a trailer for Cars Three. We there was we we basically said no, we're not gonna. We're there not was gonna a Cars Three. Yeah, hmm. yeah. They there, just keep making voiced an Army Hammer voiced electric car was yeah. uh, the villain of Cars Three, I believe. First place, um. the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> weekend the Matrix. gross twenty two million point uh twenty two point five million dollar weekend gross, only an eighteen point eight percent drop. That's off. incredible. I mean, that's already yeah. a sign like people love this movie. Yeah, and they're telling their friends like, "Yo, like I saw this little movie of the weekend. You probably saw commercials for this little movie called The Matrix. It's fucking sick, dude." Word of mouth. Word yeah, of yeah. Mouth. Uh, added fifty four theaters to been about twenty nine hundred theaters. And uh, total gross at this point seventy three point three million dollars. Uh, it is profitable now with uh, the Matrix. So this is the second of three weeks. The Matrix was number one at the box office, and we decided to take uh, another direction for this episode. And we're going to talk about a movie that came up last week and was also released in nineteen ninety nine with some similar themes. Three weeks after the Matrix, yeah, it was released on April twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. And it is uh, David Cronenberg's Existence. Existence. I, d- I don't know how to pronounce existence. the title of this movie, so I'm just going to say Existence from now on. They say it in the movie. It's like Existence. Ex- it's like Existence. 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 Yeah, it was Transcendence. a, uh, yeah, a, a Miramax release, and it uh, got a, a limited release on April 23rd in about Under the Dimension theaters, label, which is like normally Miramax is like, it's a genre film we don't believe in, so let's put it in two theaters and call it a day. Also, let's just go ahead and boo Miramax. Boo. Yeah. At least Harvey Weinstein's name is not on the movie. Yeah, exactly. That's, the thing is distribution only. Yeah, so just talking about money on Existence, it was uh, a $15 million budget. It only made about $2.8 million domestic gross. No word on foreign release. Oh, I'm uh, sure it was a hit in good old Canada, eh? Yeah. The new uh, David Cronenberg movie, eh? We got to go see the David Cronenberg film, eat our Canadian bacon, and drink our Mosin, eh? You know what? I love Canada. I just want to let everybody know that. Canada's TIFF is awesome. my favorite week of my year. Like, I have so much fun in Canada. The Canadian people are so friendly and so sweet. Um, and you guys have the best hooters in all of North America. It, I have set in the hooters and done work. Speaking of uh, speaking of um, box office mojos, like weird niche genre rankings, uh, <laughs> Existence is the seventeenth uh, rated virtual reality movie. Is Matrix number one? Matrix Reloaded is number one. Ah, Matrix Reloaded sense. is the highest grossing virtual reality movie. There's only twenty movies on the list, and the bottom one is this movie called Virtual Sexuality that made about seventy four thousand dollars. <laughs> so Existence is not doing too well in these <laughs> rankings. Wow! <laughs> it, right. it beat out Lawnmower Man two. Well, that's good. I really want to watch The Lawnmower Man if anybody wants to hang out. I have it on DVD. Ooh. I got it at Newbury Comics for like $2. Uh, so if you can tell by this point, we probably don't... We, we have some mixed feelings about existence because we haven't sort of been skating around the bush because I don't think anybody wants to say that this David Cronenberg movie is... It's not his best. You know, smart in theory, it's bad in practice. Silliest. Yes. It's the silliest movie yeah. by far. Um, this is the one time where like normally like... 
all of David Cronenberg's body horror stuff works incredibly well, but this is the first time where I felt like it was kind of a gimmick and he was trying a little too hard with there's, this one. There, well, there's some self-parody. Like, there's, there like, is. knowing nods to Videodrome repeatedly. Videodrome um, to Scanners to, yeah. um, I mean, pretty much everything. And the fact that this is his movie, this is his movie directly after Dead Ringers, right? No, no, Dead no? Ringers is in the 80s. That was in the 80s? Yeah, no. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Longer. For whatever reason, I have Dead Ringers in my head as a 95 movie, and I know that's Wasn't not right. Wasn't Crash before it? Yes, Crash was before that. Sorry about that. I can imagine wanting to do a lighter movie after that, but... Crash is actually one of the few I haven't seen. This ain't it, Chief. Yeah. Um, I love David Cronenberg, man. Yeah, no, I love Cronenberg, too. But I, it's... Yeah, I've seen most of his stuff. I think this was the end of his phase as well, you in know, terms of that genre. I think if you look at what he made after... Um, well, because Sp- he's followed it up with Spider. Spider. Written then, by my... Uh, written by my... The uh, novel that Spider is based on was written by my thesis advisor at the new school, cool. Patrick McGraw. And then, like, after Spider is when he gets into, like, the really critically acclaimed adult fare territory, like, History of Violence, um, Eastern Promises, Dangerous Method. I think, like, he left like the this is like maps the of second, the stars cosmopolis the st- yeah it, it was like a really this was like right before he kicked off like his very interesting 2000s phase as a filmmaker and i feel like it was kind of winding it was almost kind of a wind down in a way but yeah. the movie's interesting like i'll give it that i didn't love it i wasn't over the moon for it but there are very interesting concepts i feel like it's going for some cool things even if it doesn't totally hit the mark so the so the concept of it and why it relates to the matrix is that it's Jennifer Jason Lee plays a video game designer who is playing with virtual reality uh, game concepts, and she has designed these biopod, uh, <laughs> you know, video game consoles that you uh, are made from uh, animal material that you can plug. You get a, a jack inserted into your body, and you plug the game into your body, and it uh, you know puts you in this virtual reality. So Jude Law is. Uh, what what is his character again he's a marketing expert he's he's in marketing who uh never has been plugged into the game because of reasons that will become apparent at the end uh he doesn't have a bio port he hangs out with jennifer jason lee and they want to fuck but they've got to play video games instead i gotta say this would be a really hard thing to return to gamestop yeah fucking jude (laughs) law man in this movie he's so he was really before jude law had figured himself out like he'd come off of Gattaca, mm-hmm. which I think is what made this made him like I think castable in this. But he's so stiff and wooden here that I understand why Spielberg sought him out but, for AI. But but also I think <laughs> that uh, that's more the the Cronenberg style. Well, exactly. That, that's it's, that's it's, the direction by far because I mean you look at what Cronenberg does. It, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's he's basically way. playing the the main character in Scanners, um, all over again. It's that kind of stiff. Well, also, mind you, this is the year that Jude Law blows up with talented Mr. Ripley. Yes, exactly. That's true. But I will say that this is this this feels like the pre-Gigolo Joe casting, for sure. Because he's just a pretty face in this movie. Uh, I mean, I liked the hair. <laughs> I liked the, the in-joke about you can tell what level of reality you're in based on Jennifer Jason Lee's hair. Where the... You, did you notice this? No, I didn't. Once she's in the fully into the game, her hair is fully curly. When she's in the middle game world she's in her hair is partially curly partially straight when she's in reality she is has straight hair yeah i mean i think i think though you see in this you know some some elements of you know like inception with the layers of re of reality that you're playing with you see some of those like you know cyberpunk tropes coming into play with virtual reality concepts 
and uh i just I, I, it's it's weird i don't know can can anyone describe this plot better than yeah this? so the plot of this film came out uh via a conversation that cronenberg had with salman rushdie and that's why the idea of a fat what comes into play here even though cronenberg doesn't know how to f- state that as such so you've got a group of people who are mad that Jennifer Jason Lee is creating virtual reality games for whatever reason. Yeah, they call themselves the realists. The realists. And it's but it's which, so... which to be fair is like a pretty good name for like a postmodern political movement. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I could see some French people calling themselves the realists. I mean, yeah, I could see that too. It's yeah. just Cronenberg doesn't give them any time. No, no, so they, they're, they're just, just they're barely there. Sort of a vague force of against they just yell death to blank 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 and then shooter and then right. try to do stuff and it's i mean so anyway they're so they're they've issued this fatwa against her and at a big product launch that takes place in a church for her latest virtual reality console that they're testing out the game design with this lady um they all uh an assassin comes in and shoots her with a like a tooth gun like a flesh like this weird bone yeah tooth it's gun. like a yeah, which is your immediate clue that this level of reality is probably not what it says it is because mm-hmm. there's no way in hell that would like work. Yeah. even though it's a really cool concept. Like I like the the clip, the jaw clip in there, which is fun. Um, but the two of them go on the lamb, and for whatever reason, Jennifer Jason Lee really wants to play a game with him to test it out. She's just looking for someone to play Existence who is friendly. Uh, it, it's it's because she's been working on this new on the game on on the new game existence and uh she finds out that her pod which is the only copy of the game has been damaged so she needs to test it out to make sure that it it's still working wait really yeah that that comes up doesn't so <laughs> that come up after she after no, she tries to get him plugged in no so so basically they're they're doing the initial test run of this um, movie is so fucking exposition heavy and yeah. So yeah dialogue exposition heavy and so Jennifer Jason Lee just going, but I gotta figure it out, guys, over and over and over again. And, and Jude Law just going, I don't know, man, I don't know. It's a big contrast to The Matrix, which presents exposition in a thrilling way. And this movie's kind of like, oh, we're in the next scene, we gotta present. It presents. It, it's the. It, it presents philosophical queries in it's, it's accessible almost, and interesting manner. It's almost like Cronenberg got too ahead this of could, himself with the con- with the conceptual ideas and. That because that, that's always been what happens with him is he gets into this headspace type of thing where he, he needs has a co writer. He has these conceptual ideas that um, if he's not able to boil them down into plot, then they just go nowhere. They they end up being aimless because Videodrome is a type of movie that is very much based on these same types of uh, themes and ideas, but he managed to to boil it down to a more direct plot that works. And I think this is partially why he re- has retreated from science fiction. Is because I think on some level he realizes that he's not a ideas that he's an ideas guy. All right, here we go. You want to give me a hand? You're not serious. I mean, that's a diseased pod. You poured into that. Yes, exactly. Help me. to take hold. No time at all. And then you quietly pour into all the other pods and spread the infection to them. I don't even 
even know if that's the case. I just feel like because existence it reads like self parody at certain points. Because I I wonder if he just moved away from science fiction because he feels like he said everything he has to say in the genre. Because if you look at what existence is doing, so much of it is, you know, like we mentioned, is ripped from his earlier work. Um, it, it seems to be not like kind of nodding and knowing about you know referencing scanners like the political movements and scanners or the uh, death to videodrome you know reframe i i feel like he's just played himself out in certain points or or you know the bioports are very reminiscent of the of the brood uh you know the, uh, visually he's playing himself out and i feel the, like he, the uh, assholes in the back of everybody are uh on the the bioport assholes are reminiscent of rabid yep i mean seriously like it's it, it really is just sort of this big synthesis that i feel yeah, you're right I, it does feel like a goodbye to science fiction yeah in a way too but it's also just bad like I don't, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's so incomprehensible in a, in, in just a, a way. And for whatever reason, like I just don't understand. Did Cronenberg play video games? Yeah, that's the thing. It definitely. Like, I think he wants to make commentary on video games and like the whole nature of virtual reality this, and like escaping from reality, but it doesn't have a grasp of video games itself, which makes the movie less fundamentally interesting. Well, it feels like very much like an artifact from the point and click era. When yeah. that kind of story and that kind of thing where people were okay with, like, more okay with, say, gas sim- gas station simulations. Yeah, these I mean, wild it's not and a fun-looking video game. That game looks fucking terrible. I yeah. never yeah. And the idea of having to sit there and watch this adventure play out <laughs> after you've been removed from the narrative is uncomfortable, to say the least. It's very much... And the, the, the how the focus group is just like... Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, this, this game is so great. thrilling. This it's game like, was amazing. Dude, I just sat in a restaurant for like two you, hours. I just watched another person have a fun adventure. Yeah, but I, like, it's not a fun adventure. It's not really fun at all. It's just um, sort of bad. I mean, and that's the thing is, there's no momentum. There's no, there's no momentum. momentum. Once they get to the so once so eventually after a fun sequence of Willem Dafoe where. It, the, again, another big fucking clue that this game is the, the, the main level of reality you're introduced to is not the real world. Jude Law goes, "What well, are we going to find a bioport out in your random country gas station?" And they go to a place called the Country Gas Station and meet a gas station manager named Gas, played by Willem Dafoe, who fits Jude Law with a bioport off-brand or whatever in the middle of the fucking night. And yeah, it's rough. <laughs> um uh so anyway after they're doing all that he tries to kill jennifer jason lee and the two of them ascend into the future virtual world after all that where they go and shop at a video game store so i think what like cronenberg's primarily concerned with here is it's not a um, cheap movie either which is the crazy thing about it to me 15 million dollars is a lot of money yeah yeah i think i think like, the um the thing that uh cronenberg seems primarily concerned with here is sort of how is technology going to warp our perception of reality and, you know, change the way that we uh, well, the interact game is with that the world. fucking bad, it certainly wouldn't. <laughs> in, 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 in some ways, it's like it is, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it feels like it's too easy a prediction to make to call it prescient in a way. It's not the only work out there that was like calling how, uh, you know, video games and interactive media and technology were going to change the way that we think conceive of ourselves this is and like the lawnmower man like i mean it really is and also like it's 20 years later and the vr experience still fundamentally sucks 
You yeah, can get a really good experience, does. but it's really, really expensive. And like only people who have enough money to like drop on like an eight hundred dollar VR headset and like a two thousand dollar gaming computer that can even handle it. And then meanwhile, like there are no titles that make you go, "Wow!" Like I really want to escape into a virtual world. The experience still isn't good. I mean, if you really want to satirize like virtual reality, I mean, you could consider like. If there was a game that sucked you in enough, you just, like, forget to eat and, like, function as a human being. But, like, this movie may be a little too uh, ahead of its time, maybe, in trying to predict these things. Like, Yeah, and but also the things that it, I think it tried to predict are weirdly no longer a big thing. Also, like, oh, haha, NPCs don't behave like regular humans. Oh, ha, ha, combat. Oh, ha, ha, my character has to say dialogue. Also, you know. can we talk about this uh, incredible video game launch? Yeah, um, man. Like, in a church, the in, in like video a, drum <laughs> reference. <laughs> like, this isn't like a, some like indie band concert or something. The, there is one sequence in this film that is absolutely interminable. And it's the scene in which in the back of the video game store that they go into the virtual reality, Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee discover their attraction for one another. And oh, they yeah, make was... out, and it goes on for twenty minutes. Seriously, the entire the, the the plot of this film is contained in the last twenty minutes, in which the the realists come out after a lengthy digression into another game world, in which they have a fun sequence at a Chinese store, Chinese restaurant that feels vaguely racist. Still, yeah, I was kind yeah. of like, <laughs> he doesn't play. Yeah, great. I was just kind of there like, oh, this is not one of Cronenberg's. Uh better moves as like a you've got i mean the china of course the chinese food serves gross food yeah. <laughs> you know mutated animals <laughs> yeah you know that was mean, where, where's the cat david dog. where's the cat buddy come on like are you like just fucking a jesus christ i mean it's just i i hate this movie more every second i think about it and it's not bad that's the problem it's like there are fun ideas in this film it's just it's it's been so outmatched and outpaced by the reality of this stuff. It really has. I mean, you think about like the technology cults that now like are popping up in Silicon Valley and like actual like real Cronenbergian themes that are like really playing out in life. Like um I'm trying to remember the guy's name. There's a huge wired profile about this guy that just sort of started this machine AI cult, you know, out in out in Silicon Valley and he was, you know, these are guys that, you know, worked at Google, you know, it, you know, for a while, ex-Google employee was a bit of a, a meme for a little while because people being filtered through these companies and then running off in this whole – we're in this period where you have this whole sector of the economy that is trying to think of, like, what can the future look like and what can we do with it? And it's consuming itself into its own kind of ideology. You know, there there is that essay, The California Ideology, um, that really looks at, you know, the way – you know, innovation is, you know, kind of fetishistic in a way. Yeah. Um, and that, and it's something that, like, Cronenberg could really play with well, just given, you know, his 80s and 90s output up to this point um, of the way that we kind of fetishize the ideas of, say, you know, uh, what artificial intelligence will do, machine learning, um, you know, to all the way up to like transhumanists, um, or even just onto the level of adoration someone like Elon Musk gets, and like sheer cultish devotion to a guy just because he, you know, decided to start a space company. Oh and yeah, makes four twenty jokes on Twitter, but he's not like yeah. any other. Type and decided CEO. to make a flamethrower, but just like for whatever. The, dumb like reason. Cronenberg feels like the filmmaker for this moment, and yet you know, Existence is this movie. Maybe it's just because it it came out in a time where 
we weren't really clear where we were going. I mean, what was the the technology culture in 1999? And it was still this very Microsoft idea. Well, we were also worried about the entire annihilation of the idea of technology. Yeah, Y2K. Yeah. I mean, there was an apocalyptic threat. There was, which is still existent. I mean, in a weird way, once we get into the 2030s, that'll be another big thing that'll happen. Yeah. Um, But I just don't know why you make this movie if you've already made Videodrome. Because the problem is, is I think that Cronenberg understands, he understands technology, he understands that, but he understands it from a perspective that it's rooted in 1985. And he understands that, but but the problem is his expertise lies in television, it lies in the image, it lies in all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, it doesn't lie in the interactive sphere. And so that's one of the reasons why making a movie about video games is always and going you know to be that, that's something that, that Charlie mentioned to me earlier this morning when we were talking about how I just rewatched it for the podcast and um, you know he said like he brought up the complaint that Cronenberg doesn't understand video games he's like he kind of feels like it's a bit more about filmmaking and if he were here he could probably like uh, expand on that but I think that's actually an issue for the movie because if you're making a movie about video games that's really about filmmaking I mean what's the point of that like, yeah I mean the best video game movie that you're ever going to get. And I'm just going to say this point blank is probably Edge of Tomorrow. Because that is a movie about the structure and rhythm of video games that actually captures a video game as opposed to simply trying to preserve a interactive experience in a cinematic way. Well, look at look like the failure of Bandersnatch. And I, I say failure isn't like creative failure failure of Bandersnatch. We obviously don't know how Bandersnatch did because Netflix won't tell us. But um, as we brought up many times on this podcast, it's a creatively, point. it's a total failure because it kind of wants to play coy with these ideas of interactivity. Yeah. It wants to kind of suggest to you that like, oh, you're controlling it, but ultimately it has nothing to say about anything except the idea of interactivity itself, which is just not interesting. And we yeah. already had FMV games back in the fucking 90s. And we also like, had Telltale games as well. Like, yeah. I feel like um, when I was doing Banner Snatcher, like, this is just a worse version of the Walking Dead games. Because the Walking Dead games are fantastic. Yeah. Because the it's smart enough that it forces you to build relationships with the characters. Like, everything you say matters. It will impact things. And then by the time you have an emotional connection, the game pulls the rug out. I mean, it sort of becomes formulaic in this front. At the end of at least every single episode you'll be forced to make a truly difficult choice that will break your heart because you will have to choose who to save and who to let die and it will fuck you up on a daily basis well you know what where netflix got so much of that technology right they have minecraft story mode playable on netflix what yeah you can play the telltale game minecraft story mode on netflix oh that's crazy through streaming using the same sort of controls that bandersnatch does so a lot of that tech got appropriated by netflix when the license when the license came out they're also doing a bear grills yes uh, series. that so sounds way more interesting which than sounds anything a else. lot like yeah. a lot of fun because it will kind of like it, it'll reward you for like paying attention and like really forcing him to make decisions because if you make a wrong decision you're responsible for killing bear grills no actually asshole. you can't kill bear grills what? yeah people they, tried already said that you can't kill bear grills that's fucking bullshit i'm not doing <laughs> this anymore because, <laughs> i mean we should at least hold Bear Grylls to the same standard that we held Lara Croft to in the 2013 Tomb Raider where she would die horribly every time she fucked up in the game. Like, I, you guys should watch the clips that people made of that because she, like, just gets piked. She gets, like, Jesus. thrown oh into fucking wow. rivers. That sounds like some Mortal Kombat. Yeah, do that intense. to Yeah, they just need to stage, like, 20 different kills for Bear Grylls. <laughs> Fatality. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, they need to have animalities and babalities if they're going to do uh, <laughs> that in Bear Grylls games. Um, but no, but like even like but the thing with Bandersnatch is like the interactive movie isn't even like an original concept because ever you know DVDs made it a little ubiquitous because people rushed out to try and make like interactive movies on DVD. But it it was done even in the sixties. You know, there's a Czech film that William tried to Castle. Do it. Yeah, William Castle, Mr. Sardonicus, where he, um, which is actually a fake out. There is no alternate ending, but like he still would kind of bring that gimmick in and that illusion of control. But in a way, clue. In a way, Final though, Destination yeah, Three, motherfuckers. In a way, William Castle's Mr. Sardonicus, which is about a, um, the plot's not really relevant. Basically, the the end of the movie asks the audience, uh, "Do you want to punish Mr. Sardonicus, who's the villain?" Uh, by basically condemning him to death or, uh, you know, give him a miracle cure. And William Castle comes on screen and basically all the audience members are given like a card with like a thumbs up or thumbs down. And he's like, hold up your vote. And, you know, he kind of like does like a thing where he's like, I'm telling the votes. Hmm, like, what do you say? And the idea is that the projectionist is supposed to then choose the next reel based on what happens. But clearly that's not the case. It's a fake out. Apparently, every audience always chose to kill him. What Castle's doing in that way, and I don't know if he was fully cognizant of it or not, is he's putting, he's making the audience complicit in that act, mm-hmm. whether uh, you know it's a reality or not, whether it's a fake out or not. He he forces the audience to sort of like bear some guilt on how the ending plays out, uh, which is interesting. The Bandersnatch just is completely incapable of doing. Yeah, I just get so fucking tired of this bullshit. You know, like, it, there just comes a point in this movie where, like, Cronenberg just sort of totally fails at at just being able to structure a narrative, at being able to make things totally work. It just feels like a less compelling version, a less compelling rehash of the stuff that he's done amazing work on in the past. And, and frankly, like, if this mean, if, like, the failure of this meant that he was making great stuff in the 2000s, like A History of Violence. Yeah, and, like, yeah. I would agree with that. Then fuck yeah, because I, like, that's the thing. Like, I think eventually he started taking some of the core ideas less literally, but just as effectively. So, like, I love A History of Violence because it is, a like, even though he didn't write it, like, it is very much a Cronenbergian movie, but it's done through the lens of, like, small town America. I mean, and it's all, all of his movies are in some way about, people grappling with a with an imagined reality mm-hmm. and it includes history of violence oh definitely and, and or or even a dangerous method or all that sort of stuff and this is that at its most literal and it's just the the beauty of metaphor is just totally lost here because of it yeah history of violence is actually one of my favorite cronenberg movies i've watched that i think feel like i've watched that one more than most of cronenberg's output but um, i don't think dave has a very good idea about telling a story like i think he can tell other people's stories well but his most successful films are all either remakes or or adaptations or they're written by someone else there are just a few happy accidents there or i mean even the even dead ringers has a co-writer like the original screenplays are basically like you know there and and i don't blame you if you like existence or if you think that you know cronenberg is a great theorist or whatever it's just like i just remember like being trying to play devil's advocate in high school being a fucking edge lord and being like oh david cronenberg is just as good as david lynch and no no like no if the comparison is they, they john only, carpenter they only get compared because they're both named david exactly and they're both they both show off horror shit like like in terms of you know but lynch is lynch is on another level 
I mean, just honestly. Cronenberg also doesn't have the same sort of technical skill that someone like Carpenter does. He's got one good thing that he does very, very well. And a his style has become more broader over time. I, I think while we're still on the topic... Dark City is a better movie than this. I think while we're still on the topic of virtual realities and you know, different perceptions of the world. Uh, here's another post from Digimon do exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is from user Digimon rules 45. Uh, <laughs> read debate slash poll Digimon existence origin. I believe Digimon existed before the show. Where, where would the creators gotten such an idea or inspiration to make this show? I believe that everything that is here today was once an idea or a thought of something. If humans can be real, what makes it not possible to for a Digimon to be real too? Many people have encounters with Digimon too. I have had my own personal experiences as well, such as weird things happening to my computer, weird weather in my area, and strange dreams where I wake up sweating. My dream was strange. I had a dream where I was fighting side by side with my very own Digimon. So... Are Digimon real in my eyes? I believe many of the leading scientists and many animal (laughs) facts and stuff such as that that can be proven by testing something. But some scientists say that Digimon or Pokemon, but I say they are wrong about Digimon. Digimon equal data. Data is all around us. Maybe before the beginning of time, there was some leftover data that wasn't used to make fish or humans, but to a strange types of creatures called Digimon. (laughs) We'll be adding more soon. Well, I have to say this, though. The guy has been proven wrong because Pokemon exist. Otherwise, how did they cast Detective Pikachu? Oh, that's right, true. right. I mean, there were fair. a lot of there were a lot of Pikachu's who applied for the role of Detective Pikachu. I mean, seriously. I will say this though. I will say this about the Digimon form. They have now breathed life into this. So somewhere in the multiverse, a multiverse of Digimon. Well, oh, it's shit. it's like it's oh, like I said, it's it's Roko's Basilisk. Now that you've thought of it, it's real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can we pause just for a second? What was that philosophical term you just mentioned? Roko's basilisk. Yeah. Oh. Okay. No. No. Uh, okay. So Roko's... no, I know what it means. I just like. I just think it's funny because that's like the rule thirty-four. Oh no! Yeah. I mean, Roko's basilisk is not a philosophical concept. It's fucking idiots unless wrong. Oh really? Yeah. No. 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 So basically, Roko's basilisk is. Um, some user named Roko on the Less Wrong forums, yeah. which is sort of like these like neo reactionary tech utopian types um, that are like you know all sort of like dark enlightenment type batch of people. Uh, so basically, the, it was a thought experiment where what if there was an AI that was so like so powerful that it was eventually going to come into existence and rule the world. But in order to be created, it needs to ensure its own creation, so it will punish anyone who does not help in their capacity yeah. to create it. So basically, it's the idea that this this AI ca- called the Basilisk is an inevitability. And if you know about the Basilisk ahead of like now and do not do everything in your power to help it exist, once it exists, it will tor- not even torture you, but torture a simulation of you for eternity, <laughs> which is the part that doesn't wow. make sense to me. But, uh, but that that's sort of where they're going with this. But basically... By knowing about the Basilisk, you must now help to create it, or it will torture you once it does exist. I actually had read about that. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a real philosophical term. It's some some neo-reactionaries on an internet forum, but they got really deep into it. Like, they got, like, really paranoid. Some people actually started giving, like, all their money to organizations to help create the Roko's Basilisk yeah. so that they couldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be tortured forever. That's really funny. It's it's absurd. They had to, like, ban discussion of it for a while. Now, now it's kind of, like, more of a joke, but some people got serious 
seriously like into it because they they really buy into it which well, goes back to my whole thing about this being an ideology and like a death cult yeah well that's sort of like the, the i guess that's like the gray goo of thought yeah 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 exactly know? it's like gray goo like, yeah it's it just it consumes everything i but yeah i i don't know i just think that i just it's hard for me to imagine anyone preferring this to the matrix it, like I I the, the I remember the box art with that review that said this makes the Matrix look like child's play. <laughs> what? Yeah, that was what they said on the existence blockbuster cover. I just don't know, man. And the ending I think is a cop out. I really do. I just want to make I a like movie. Well, no, I want to make a movie like that where it's literally just the ending of the endings, where it's like, oh man, I can't believe that game was great. Ten minutes later. Oh man, I can't believe that game is great. Just literally on and then have it loop, so Isn't it goes on forever. Just Mission Impossible Two, like that whole movie is just them. Like, uh, yo, I'm not Tom Cruise. I'm this guy, and I'm not this guy. I'm actually Tom Cruise. Well, I guess it's like the. I guess it's like that shitty, um, the shitty like short film by the Too Many Cooks guy that came out this summer. The Blair Trigger. You guys ever see that? Oh, I didn't see that one. It's uh, it's a movie. It's it's about streaming, and like. On one level, Blair Trigger is streaming a game about having to like come back from war and ha ha ha, it's military shooters, but you gotta do the realisms. So they come back and they're like PTSD'd and they have to go to the VFW and they have to hang out with their shitty moms. But at some point, the character inside the little world becomes a streamer himself and it just sort of layers streamers on top of streamers while not understanding why people watch streams or what they do, because it's very much stuck in the, oh, this is a tutorial. Got to do this to do this, instead of, like, being a racist, which is why people go there. This is very anti-gamer, too. I thought you wanted to bring is, that oh, up. Oh, is the movie anti-gamer racism? Yeah, I think it's anti-gamer racism. I think it's anti-gamer racism. I, I mean, gangweed, you know? <laughs> like, you've got to have, you know, we live in a society, gentlemen. and We live in a society, that's the big takeaway from this episode. We live in a society. Yeah, but our society is either orange or blue, depending on what level of reality we're on. Yeah, you know what's a great movie uh, about these same ideas that beat the Matrix to the punch by about 25 years? Uh, you ever see Fassbender's World on a Wire? Remade as the 13th floor in the United States. Ah, interesting. Yeah, you did. Yeah. It came out the same year as The Matrix. Oh, really? Too. Yeah. Well, World on a Wire is amazing. I I have not seen World on a Wire. I do you have it? Um, I hope you. Re- I I do hope you watch Thirteenth uh, Floor though. Okay. Which is which is fun. Yeah. Well, I think we should wrap up. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan of this movie. Yeah. And watching Scanners really in close proximity to this is equally frustrating. I mean, I don't know. I just I I feel sad because I feel down on Cronenberg now. <laughs> you know? I really like Cronenberg, which just isn't his finest hour. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know, and it. I just wish you know. I'm excited that we'll be able to talk about him in 2005. Yeah. Well. All right. So next week we'll be back, uh, not talking about the Matrix. Yeah. The Matrix is number one for three weeks, but non consecutively. We'll be back with Eddie Griffin. Eddie Eddie Murphy. Eddie Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was okay. So it was Eddie and Martin. Oh fuck! Yes, it is Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence in uh get hard what are you talking about we're watching life by ted demi life but i thought that was get hard with will ferrell and kevin oh my god reality's folding in on itself Ah, ah. take off your headsets we're in a reality now so uh i'll just leave you with another topic from digimon do exist 
Topic, nothing and everything. Thread started on July 23rd, 2006, 12.54 a.m. Absolutely nothing exists. Absolutely everything exists. Everything is false. Everything is true. If nothing exists, then something exists. If everything exists, then so does nothing. If everything is false, then that statement is true. If everything is true, then the statement everything is false is also true, making the truth false and the false true. Discuss. (laughs) (laughs) And now for a preview of coming attractions. Bye, y'all. This is the Mississippi State Correctional Institution. Where you lose your freedom. Where you do hard time. There is no escaping from here. There is no recreation here. There is no fun here. But all of that is about to change. Life! What the hell you mean? Like, hell no, I ain't doing no life. I'm going back to myself. It's a mistrial. I blame you for everything, Ray. Hey, boss, he ain't working. You gonna eat your cornbread. You can't have my cornbread. I'm from New York City. It's gonna be consequences and repercussions. Oh. I told you what my plan was. You gonna tell me what your plan is. What you working on? One of y'all wanna hit me down my back? We gotta get out of here. You call this a map? Don't tell me you don't know where we're going. We're in New York City! This April... Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence are getting all there is. Out of life. You gonna make me fall off just talking to your ass. Every time you start talking, I almost fall. Will you die? Will you stop? Just don't say nothing else to me. You about to make me fall, right? Just hold still and don't say nothing. Oh, damn, one of my toes in the bottle, Ray. <laughs> <laughs>